We, should I start over? We're in a series, and we started it. It's called Resurrecting. Uh, we started it in uh, Easter, and then, you know, Drew and I went back and forth and decided to be selfish on what we preach. So we're in Matthew now. Okay, here we go. Uh, it, the reason that we're doing this is because it's really cool because every single gospel message is written in a certain way. And we thought it was really important that we go over these gospel messages. So whenever you decide to read uh, one of the gospel messages, you've got to open up your Bible, you look, you get to kind of understand the context of why the writers wrote in a certain way. Um, it's because they were writing to a specific group to emphasize a specific part of Jesus' message. And every single one ends in a certain way that is very, very important. It's not that one gospel is more, gospel account is more important than the other, but they all end in a certain way to have a plea to a certain people group uh, in the name of Jesus. So this is my main point today. The completion through Jesus offers a new mission. This week, as we go through the, the book of Matthew, um, we, we're going to look at the ending chapter, uh, which is titled The Great Commission. Uh, it was such a big deal and what it meant to the audience of Matthew's account of the gospel. See, Matthew was writing to a, an account of the gospel message as a plea to the Jewish people that the Messiah, the, the chosen one, the anointed one, the deliverer has come already. And with the title, he titled it The Gospel which gospel can be translated as good news. Or, uh, if, we, if we read it from the title, it would have been uh, translated as Matthew's good news. And for those who have read Matthew's gospel before, you've probably realized that this gospel doesn't start with necessarily Jesus. But it starts with a bunch of names for like 16 verses. And if you are like me, when I first opened up the Bible, uh, when I looked at this, I was like, I don't know who any of these people are, and I'm just going to skip it until we see the birth of Jesus. But these names were actually really important. And if you, if you go through them, if you fight yourself through and try to sound out all the names of ancient Jewish people, which are really hard to read, especially for me, that's why I'm not going to read them on, on stage, you'll realize that this is Jesus' family tree. That, that we, we stretch it all the way back to the father of the Jewish people, the father of the Israelites, which is Abraham, and it goes all the way towards Jesus. And the question is, is why did Matthew decide that he was going to strategically place this, this family tree or genealogy at the beginning of his message? And what we see is that Matthew is a very, very smart man, because he is trying to convince these Jewish people, these Jews, to continue reading past the genealogy and start to see the nature of Jesus. And he does this in a really strategic way. And we would say that he's a very smart man for doing this. If you read commentaries, some commentaries just say he was just being a really good Jew in this moment. But we see that in this account that he uses literary techniques that we normally don't read when we read the gospel message. He uses specific names in specific places. He even uses a number aspect to it to grab the attention for to make a case for Jesus from Nazareth, or we would call Jesus Christ, or Jesus our Messiah. 
Just like all conversations, uh, Matthew is trying to establish his knowledge of being Jewish, trying to plead to these people, one, I am a good Jew, so you need to listen to me, and two, I know my Jew stuff, so you need to listen to me. And we do this in conversations as well, right? If you are go up to somebody and to, uh, to declare that you're going to talk about a certain topic, you first state all the knowledge that you have about that topic. As I've, as I've learned with Star Wars, if you know Drew at all, if you want to talk about Star Wars, you first need to declare how much you know about Star Wars before you can have any input on Star Wars whatsoever. I thought I knew Star Wars. Apparently, I do not know Star Wars. Uh, he does know Star Wars very well, as he talks about every single time he preaches on stage, right? And I've found um, that I've made a, a slight mistake. I, I asked our now children's minister, if she has watched Star Wars, and she says, kind of, and I, I have repented of that mistake because Drew has made that known that was not okay. But we push forward, and she is doing a fantastic job. But if you look at this genealogy, if we can just pull up the first uh, slide of all the genealogy, you'll see that there are some names in the first section of this genealogy that you might recognize if you just grew up in the church or if you've read the Bible in some sort of fashion, you'll re, uh, recognize names such as Abraham, Jacob, uh, David, and Solomon. Those are all, all popular stories that we like to talk about in children's ministry. If you have kids in children's ministry, you might hear about some of these names if you ask them what they learned about in, in class over there in their worship time. But one of the biggest names that would have popped out to Jewish people would have been King David. This, is, this would have been, when they saw this name, their ears would have perked up a little bit. They would have said, ooh, this is a recognizable and great leader at the time. See, King David, as we've talked about before, um, was the king that everybody wanted back. They wanted another King David, because King David was the man after God's own heart. Whenever King David was ruler, they did not lose many battles. Uh, the Jewish people were on top. They were expanding their nation and taking back the land that God had given them. So they wanted another King David. And since King David, it just hasn't gone really well. So they were like, well, maybe we can have another King David at some point. But it, but it goes a little deeper in the genealogy of just throwing out names to declare that Jesus is the Messiah. If you go a little bit deeper, you will, you will see that David was number 14 on the line. And 14 from the father of our nation, Abraham. And if you grew up in church, you would have sung that silly song about Abraham. The, the father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has father Abraham. And that would have been a recognizable name. But if they would have looked at this timeline, they would have seen the number 14 on the timeline. And every Jewish person would have known the number related to King David. If you were to look at the original text of this, you would have noticed that 14 would have been a synonymous number to King David. And, and, and this would have been something that made their, their minds perk up like Matthew knows what he's talking about. Maybe, maybe Jesus is the one. We, we do this as well in our everyday culture. And we see, uh, if you are a football fan, if you, 
If you are watching the Patriots and the announcer says number 12, if you grew up, you would have known who number 12 was for the Patriots for so many years. If you are a NASCAR fan and you see people throwing up the number three or just three on their shirt, you know exactly, if you're a NASCAR fan, what that is. If you're a card player and somebody says, hey, do you want to play 21? You will know what that means. You don't have to have any explanation. And if you are a 90s Christian like myself, you will know what WWJD means. There's no reason for explanation, right? You just know what we're talking about. It would have been the same for the Jewish leader, but Matthew goes on and gives a head nod, necessarily, because we have three 14s in this genealogy. We have three different slides here of 14 different lines, and Matthew is saying here that number 14, but we have three of them coming to Jesus, so saying that we have three times greater than the King David himself. So the Jews here would have been almost realizing that this was a complete David that would have been Jesus. David, this is King David without sin, is what Matthew is trying to say here. But can I nerd out just a little bit longer? Bear with me here. This is, this is really interesting stuff to me. But it goes a little bit deeper than that. And you can go way further than I'm going to, but, but my staff says I can only go so long saying this before I lose you guys. Uh, or you just don't care anymore. But I do, so I'm, I'm up here with the mic, as Drew has given me. So here's a little bit deeper. Uh, um, excuse my Bible nerd for a second, but the next level on here... Uh, the ancient Judaism would have been looking for something for a long time called the Jubilee. And we've sing about this on stage, but basically the Jubilee was this socioeconomic justice that would happen when the government would de- decree a reset amongst the nation. So uh, every 49 years, necessarily, uh, all slaves would be free, um, the debt would be forgiven, And all the land that would have been interchanged and taken over due to slavery of giving up ownership would have gone back to their original owners. So it was a way to remove the the power struggle of the poor and the rich and making everybody kind of on an even playing field all of a sudden. And it would remove the generational curses that would have been put up when it came to bad finances or bad decisions and put, put families way back behind. It kind of reset all that stuff so that multiple generations wouldn't uh, have effect of that. And we read in Daniel and uh, in the, the law that it was basically seven times seven years or 49 years this would happen. And Matthew is writing, and, it, and you see something interesting in this. In this genealogy, you see three 14 generations, meaning that there are, there are six sevens, meaning that we are short one generation. And at the very end of this, you see that Jesus would have been the, the generation that would have started the Jubilee year, that where all debts are paid, there, you are free from slavery, and everyone is equal in this new kingdom under God. I mean, how cool is that? Matthew is a smart man in this. And you, and you see in the third column, Tay, if you could go to the last one, the really cool thing is in the last 14 generations, you will notice that it starts with somebody fathered somebody. And you'll see that it goes all the way down to the very bottom, but you'll notice at the very end, it does not say father, but it says mother. 
And every single generation has a father of someone, but when it comes to Jesus, he did not have an earthly father. So who is the 14th father? How cool is that? If you read the gospel message at all, you realize that the, the 14th father would have been God himself as Matthew pleads to this generation, these Jewish people, that the only way the Messiah could come is if God was the father of the Messiah. We see that Matthew did a wonderful job in this. And you can even dive in deeper, and there's even more layers amongst this on how Matthew was pleading to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah, and you need to continue reading to see the good news that he brings and that we have a new mission under him. But, all, but as we go on, we, Matthew, with his strategic use of detail, just trying to appeal to the certain reasons, and, and if, if a Jewish person was to read this family tree, they would have gotten this. But for us, it means a little different. You know, every single week, what we do when we read the gospel message, every single week, we, we plead to those that have not given their life to discipleship of Christ. And we plead to them to explore what it looks like to give their life to Christ and to put his faith in him for the Jubilee is here. That you no longer have to be enslaved by anything. You no longer have to go under the, the expectations of this world. You no longer have to have the generational curses that have been set up for generations, especially in America. That the Jubilee is here and you are now equal under Jesus Christ. And for those that are Christians, for those who have already given their life and have, have, have given their life to be disciples of Jesus, it is a plea to you to continue to give in worship, to give in the, in the oldest form of offering because the Jubilee is here. And to that, we celebrate freedom. We celebrate freedom from slavery and the kingship with in a kingship where in the kingdom of heaven, we are all equal under him. We go through all this information just from the genealogy. And just imagine how the rest of the story goes. So Matthew goes through the entire story of Jesus, his teaching, his kicking butt of the Jewish leaders, and he brought with him a group of young people to start what would be the kingdom of heaven on this earth and to kick off the church of what we know today. And he kicks off the church with this new mission, with the fulfillment of the law already, already happening and kicking off this new mission of the start of the Jubilee, which we can all enter into. And if that plea has stirred anything in your heart, if you have been waiting for what, we, what, the, what the ancient Jewish people call the Jubilee, where, where all generational curses can be wiped away, where you can find new life in Christ, then I would encourage you, please come and talk to me after, this, after service. Or come talk to Drew or, or any of the other ministers on staff, because we would love to share the entire story of Jesus with you. But if you are a disciple of Christ, Jesus gives a new mission to those who have believed. And the Bible titles it the Great Commission. And this is what it says, Matthew 28, 16-20. When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore... 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you, and surely I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. And to the Jewish people, this would have been very interesting and intriguing to read this at the moment, and probably widely problematic because of their upbringing. See, Jewish people only hung around other Jews. It is, it is, they were not supposed to mingle outside of the Jewish culture. And even subsects of Jewish culture that have, that do not talk about the uh, Father Abraham or different parts of continuing to search for the Messiah, you would read in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman. And it is even universal knowledge that the Samaritan woman knows that she's not supposed to interact with the Jewish people, and the Jewish people realize that they're not supposed to interact with the Samaritan woman. But Jesus says in this new gospel, in this new good news, it is supposed to be for everyone. And when he means everyone, he means everyone. It is not just for a certain group of people, but for everyone. What Jesus is saying here is that the good news is intended to be inclusive, and it forces those who would not live life together to start living life together. And not just live life together, but be called brothers and sisters in Christ. A whole new way of living. Everyone is welcome. And to the introverts here, I know that is scary. Yes, you have to live with people that are not like you. And to the extroverts, calm down, you are scaring the introverts. So please stop. But it is the start of the Jubilee that everybody is welcome, that all the barriers of life, whether it is economical barriers, whether it is religious barriers, whether it is um, skin color barriers or voice barriers or government barriers, that we are all we are all equal under the kingdom of God and we are no longer bound by the expectations of this world, but we are bound by a new mission in Christ, which is to share the gospel. So what does this look like? Jesus is resurrected to the the fulfillment of this earthly law. He talks about in the Sermon of the Mount and says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Because he is the fulfillment of the law, because he removes all of these expectations, he says, because of that, we need to go and make disciples of all nations. And, And these two words in this would have been very interesting to the Jewish people because one of these words would have been something they've been doing for generations, and another one of these words in this command would have been slightly problematic for them. And if you do any research on these two topics or go to make disciples of all nations, you realize that it almost feels like you need a PhD to just decipher what you'll read in these commentaries. See, I compare it, what I've learned about our church, to smoking meat. And that that sounds really weird. But as I've said before on the stage, when you turn 30, you have to make a decision in life. You either have to get really into World War II history, or you have to decide to start smoking meat. And I realize as we've done men's ministry in our church, as as the wives point to their husbands, we as a church majority are really good at smoking meat, and we're not as good with World War II history. But if you decide to go down the path as I have in, 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 in smoking meat, you realize when you type in and research smoking meat, there is a lot to it. In fact, it's expensive. 
And if you go even deeper into it, you realize that there are certain temperatures and different meats take certain temperatures. You have to wrap it at a certain time and unwrap it at a certain time and make sure you put the sauce on at a certain time. You have to leave the meat out to make sure it's not frozen. There's, there's all these rules involved in this. And it just feels like as you jump into smoking meats, that you just have to jump into it and there's this insecurity about it because you're jumping into the unknown and you don't know if it's going to come out. Okay. See, the word discipleship is just like that. In a, in a modern term, if we, discipleship is a really Christian, Christianese word. Uh, a more modern term, as, as I understand it, would have been identified as probably an apprenticeship under Jesus, or apprenticeship in life. And this would have probably been more close to what they were expecting it, whenever they read, go and make disciples of all nations, they probably would have felt more like we do an apprenticeship as we do in the workforce here in the United States. And this is something that I did when I first started in the ministry. When I wanted to get to ministry, I had an apprenticeship. I had a couple apprenticeships. I had a couple three-month ones where I would go to different angles of ministry and I would follow around somebody to do the job. And then my goal was to try my best to be like that person that was training me and then I would eventually go and just do what that person told me to do. And that, was, that is how apprenticeship goes. If you started at any job at any time in your adult life or your career, you shadowed somebody for a while, and then they, then they said, okay, just do what I do, and then eventually they go away, and then you just do what they told you to do. That is basically an apprenticeship of, the, of America. And we see that... In our study of Matthew, they did the exact same thing. And they did this for 2,000, and we've been doing this for 2,000 years. We have, we, have, we have tried our best to make sure that we, as Christians, become an apprentice of Jesus so that we can make apprentices of other people as we follow Jesus. So how do you become an apprentice of Jesus? How do you become a disciple of Jesus? Well, this is what we do. We follow Jesus around. We go wherever Jesus is moving. We go to a, a church like, like Elevate Christian Church, like a church plant. We're starting a new thing. We, we follow it around for a while. We see mission work where, where Jesus is moving, where great things are happening. We go there and we do that as well. And then eventually you, you step up and you start doing what Jesus would have done. You try to become like Jesus. And there's multiple aspects of that. There's, there's volunteer work and, and being the hands and feet physical. And then there's something called, that we call spiritual formation, which the Jewish people would have said, where you, where you look at the practices of Jesus and you do those things over and over again, such as prayer and fasting and giving and being, uh, being hospitable and worshiping through song. Not only that, but also reading Scripture and devoting yourself to the Scripture. Those are just different spiritual formations that you would do. And then eventually, you will just do what Jesus did. That is the bird's eye view of how you become a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. But Jesus is, is assuming in this part maturity amongst the people who read this. The disciples would have spent three and a half years with Jesus so they would have known who Jesus was, they would have known what he's about, and they would have got to the point where they could participate in ministry. So Jesus says, go and do that. Go pass it down to somebody else. And go find some people to follow you and teach them to do the exact same thing as I'm doing. But unfortunately, 
in America, we are more interested in Jesus following us rather than us following Jesus. We are more interested in slowly removing the things that Jesus said and the slowly removing the commands of Jesus to better fit us in our church world rather than slowly removing the things of ourself, slowly removing the burdens of our life so that we can become more like him and slowly apprentice over him over time. And if you're not in that category and you need to follow Jesus around, become more like him and you start doing as Jesus did. At Elevate, we have a discipleship pathway that I would encourage you to be a part of. We have discipleship pathways and community groups, and if you're interested, please don't hesitate to come and talk to us. We would love to set you on a trajectory of being an apprentice of Jesus. But before the disciples could have let their minds wander on who we are supposed to make disciples of, Jesus answers it immediately by saying, you need to make disciples of all nations. But what does all nations mean to us? And I believe here's where it gets a little messy especially in the church world. What all nations mean are the 8 billion people in the world today. They are all welcome. Every single one of them. And this is hard because we all like to stay in our own lane, correct? Like basically in America, you live in your social economic uh, world, correct? Like you hang out with people who are in the same life as you, you kind of hang around with the same type of people that make sort of the same amount of money as you. Um, you probably would have grown up with people in neighborhoods as we have. We all kind of make the same amount of money. Um, you might even go into even more deeper, deeper layers of that. Maybe you just hang around people that are, have the same political views of you, or maybe even the same stage of life as you are. You like to hang around if you have young kids with other people that have young kids. Um, if you have older kids, you hang out with people that have older kids. Or if you're uh, one that have kids outside of your family now, you no longer have them under your wing. You hang out with people who are in the same life span as you. But if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to go and make disciples of all nations, then we as Christ followers do not have the continue to have the standards of Jesus. There are no longer standards at which we live anymore and we exclude each other from because we want to make sure that all are welcome. And we don't just get comfortable and at worst, just live our life to stay safe. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. What that means is if we are making disciples of all nations, our church will slowly change because the discipleship process is slow. If we just go through the discipleship process, if we become apprentices of Jesus, and we are finding people to be apprentices of Jesus as well, our church will have a wide variety of different people. We will have all four categories of wealth. We will have singles. We will have married people. We have people with kids. We have people with kids that are outside of their home. We'll have every skin color here. We'll have every different political parties involved. We'll have people who drink, smoke, chew, and everyone in between. When the, when the church first started, it says that God added to their number daily. And we ask that question to this day, why did God add to their number daily? It is because they were extremely inclusive and there was no exclusivity in their walk with Christ. 
They were so inclusive that they would call people that they normally wouldn't be friends with brothers and sisters in Christ, and they took care of each other, and they meant it. Because they had something. They had the healing that everybody wanted. They had the relationship that everybody wanted. And what Matthew calls the good news or the gospel message and they wanted everybody, no matter what economic standpoint they are, whatever political standpoint they are, whatever skin color they have, they wanted everyone to know this gospel message. So when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, they would have taken that very seriously. Because for the very first time in their life, it didn't matter how much money you made. It didn't matter what language you spoke. It didn't matter if you were single or if you were blessed to be married. It didn't matter what skin color you had or if you lived on the right side of the river. All were welcome because we were all under this new jubilee, which there was no slavery, but there was only freedom. And all were welcome. We all understand that we have grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are interested in this, just as Matthew had a plea to the Jewish people. I would encourage you to, to, to decide and go forward and, and, and see what it looks like to be an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you are already baptized and you, and you have declared that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, just as Matthew has given a plea to these people, we also every single week have a plea for ourselves and for each other to make sure we take this gospel message and we make disciples of all nations. We make disciples of everyone. Because we are the most inclusive group of people. Because we have a message that is unlike any other message. We have a message that breaks chains. We have a message that breaks generational slavery. We have a message that removes and separates you from the rest of the world and makes you an even playing field with everybody around you. And we have a command to take care of each other. That if you are one without a family, you now have a family in Christ. And if you have a really big family, you now have even bigger family in Christ because now we are under a new kingship, which is under Jesus Christ. See, the main point today is this. The completion through Jesus offers a new mission. And I encourage every single one of you, I plead with every single one of you to be a part of that mission. So God, as we continue down this path of Elevate Christian Church, as continue to be a new church plant, God, I pray that you place upon our hearts and, and, and plead with us every single day to be an apprentice of you, to be a disciple of you. Just as Matthew did 2,000 years ago, as he went to the Jewish people to make a great case for Jesus from Nazareth, the, the, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, I pray that we center our lives around him and, and that mission to make sure we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and making sure we teach everything your son Jesus commanded us to do. And I do believe that you will be with us to the end of the age, God. God, you are so good, and I ask this all in your son's name. Amen.